Hello and welcome to the Studentpreneur Show. I'm your host, Tegan Thomas, and here we are again with a new guest. Uh, she teaches about how to open and run a law practice and has also taught representation of entrepreneurs previously, all from Villanova University Law School. Her name is Sharon Wilson. So hello, Sharon Wilson. Welcome. Thank you for being on our show. First, I'd like you to tell us about your program and how long you've been involved. Well, I have actually been teaching entrepreneurial law at the law school level for more than 14 years. I have a real background in this area because I teach it as a clinical, which means that you not only sort of learn about it, but you get to actually do it you get to represent clients. Mm, Okay, that's cool. And what exactly got you into that situation and being involved with teaching that? You know, the interesting thing taken is that I've always did business in my practice, but I think very early on, I realized that my law practice is a business as well as my profession. So I began as a, an attorney that counseled startup businesses, and mm-hmm. I did that for almost exclusively for about the first 10 years of my practice. So real, really teaching it in a clinical setting was really an extension of what I was already doing. Right, okay. And um, have you had any success stories with a program of like these kids that you were teaching and getting them that hands-on experience? Oh, yeah, because my definition of an entrepreneur includes for-profit and non-profit. I'm really just uh, looking at uh, someone who's willing to take a series of risks to achieve this goal. And last year, two of my students were working with a nonprofit that actually engaged in urban farming. So within the middle of this very residential area, there was an urban farm that was addressing issues surrounding, um, you know, food deserts in the city of Philadelphia. And they were able to do amazing work for them, uh, which included not only helping them with structuring their business, but getting them the approvals and licensing and, all of the sort of foundational things that aren't pretty or sexy, but that you need to go forward. They did such a great job, Tegan, that they actually won um, an award for uh, the best clinical students that year. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Congratulations to them. Yes. Might have to talk to them at some point. That'd be really cool. Oh, okay. (laughs) And have you done anything personally to help more so a student run business that was having issues? Well, most of the businesses that I help with students, they need fundamental talks. Mm -hmm. So I have, I've, uh, students approach me often, um, especially while I'm at Villanova because they know about the center and they know sort of about the law school's mission to further business along with, um, you know, giving a a solid legal foundation to also talk about attorneys who want to go into business. And I've helped them with really just thinking their ideas through. And sometimes it can be very helpful to have somebody to bounce your ideas off that can think about the things that you sort of just never envisioned. Right. Do you have, are there like different legal protections for small businesses versus large corporations that you have had to experience with? 
Well, I think the protections are the same, but if we're talking about small business, it's more important that they do some foundational things, right? Because when you're a larger business and you have more resources, you have the opportunity to self-correct a little bit better than you might as a small business. So the things you really need to work on is making sure that your structure fits the type of business that you envision going forward. So that's the first thing that I would suggest that you work on. And so that's not big different from a, a, a larger business. The other thing is are the documents that you're going to use in furtherance of your business. And another thing that becomes very important on a small business level is that you are very, very clear about the nature of the relationship of the people who are in business with you whether they be, you know, whether this be a partnership or a corporation, you need clarity around people's roles and responsibilities uh, because there's a lot to do and often there's not a lot of people to, to get it done. Right, exactly. And do you think that there are specific types of businesses that elite that need lawyers right away or would you say that every business needs to talk with a lawyer right away? I think there's a a time point when you sort of talk in general and you might want to get sort of a game plan for going forward. But the businesses that need help right away are the ones who are about to engage in business and have yet to sort of, they haven't finished their organizational structure. So if they're going to be a corporation, they haven't incorporated yet. Or they're doing work with another person and they think that they're partners, but they haven't clarified their relationship yet as mm-hmm. to you know what partners are going to do, what they're going to be responsible for, and how much money or resources each of them are going to contribute to the partnership. So people who are on the brink of doing business, they definitely need to see their attorney. The hope would be that you saw your attorney earlier, like before you got to that point, But if you are about to step out there, uh, you need to see counsel because you want to talk about the liabilities that are out, you know, that are out there that maybe, again, you haven't considered. And you mentioned earlier about there being kind of like a, a timeline of when people should get a lawyer involved whenever it comes to running a business. So what would you say is the general outline for that timeline? I would say when you're thinking about it, then you should talk to an attorney generally for a consultation and talk about, you know, the big picture, where you want to go, why you may want to form, use one structure over another. Talk about your idea and sort of why you want to do it, how you envision doing it. That would be number one. And then you would go back and on your own, you'd sort of flesh that out more you know, with that conversation in mind, with the legal conversation in mind. And then when you're actually about to begin business, then you want to talk about structure. What structure do I need? You know, should I be a corporation? Should I be a partnership? And go through whatever the tools or techniques you need in order to make that happen. After you have your structure done, then you want to figure out what you need as a business professional going forward on a repetitive basis, Tegan. So like, if I'm going to do enter into contracts, what should they look like? If I'm going to do, uh, have form documents that I offer people for my services, what should that look like? What should that say? Now, and in between there, if you should have a logo and trademark conversation, and you should do that before you actually launch. 
um, because you don't want to mistakenly, you know, impede upon somebody else's trademark uh, because that could be expensive and costly. And so what about like the, you mentioned the trademark thing. So what about patents? Like it would be the same type of thing, like before you would even get involved with trying to share your product, would you want to get a patent passed before that? Well, I know that you can operate in this framework of patent pending, which you might feel comfortable with, so that you've sort of applied for your patent. It may not be awarded to you yet, but you feel comfortable going forward. So it depends on the nature of the product and what has already been filed in reference to who or whether or not you want to start without your patent. But you want to at least have a conversation about that before you make a decision so that you're making an informed decision about going forward. Right, for sure. Okay, that makes sense. When would be a time that small business owners should not talk to a lawyer? Like what kind of situations are there where it's not necessary or if it's too early in a point of time? Yeah, when the, when your idea is kind of fuzzy, when you're not sure what it's going to be, when you're not sure where you're going to be, because generally lawyers give jurisdiction-specific advice. So they can talk to you generally about, okay, this is what Pennsylvania requires. This is what Delaware requires. This is what Kentucky requires. So if you don't even know where you're going to be, it's going to be hard to give you uh, valid legal advice at that time period. And you want to be narrow, as narrow as you can in what you want to do, how you want to do it. You really want to flesh out your ideas. And you should talk to lay people first because if you're, trying, if you're thinking about selling services or in some form of fashion, those are your potential customers. Without divulging a lot of what you're going to do, just talk to people about what you're thinking about and, and whether or not they would use the kind of service that you're thinking about providing. Until you really can sort of discuss it, that's when you need to see the attorney. Because before then, it's too soon. Right. Okay. And whenever it comes to like raising money from investors, um, are there any specific things that they would need a lawyer for that? And if so, where or when should they start? Well, yes, you should talk to people about raising money. Generally, um, I want to say that for entrepreneurs, it's almost always that fundraising sort of starts at home. So you end up raising money from relatives, which is not a bad place to start. Uh, But you need to know that there are some landmines when you talk about using relatives or raising funds. So they need to be very, you know, you need to be very sure that they understand what it means. And once you decide you are going to reach out and to investors and you have those conversations about them investing and what they want to invest, the most important thing to do, Tegan, is to get those things in writing. Uh, and and to let people look at them, review them before you go forward. It's best that everybody really understand what they have invested in before they invest because it keeps down problems later. Yeah. So are there contracts that are um, put into place with um, investors and entrepreneurs that are about to start their business? Yes. Um, if If you are investing, the investment is reduced to a contract. It could be a shareholder agreement. It could be a partnership contribution. It could be, you know, the kind of 
contribution from a partner that doesn't participate in the enterprise but just gives money. It could be a straight up loan. So the type of investment will dictate the type of document that's drafted. And that's when you need legal help to say, okay, so-and-so pledged you know, $100,000 to your enterprise and should this be a loan or should this be like, should I offer them shares? Should they have a, a partnership interest? And that's when your attorney can help you decide what might be best, you know, for your enterprise at that, at that point in time. What led you specifically to the entrepreneurial side of law? Like you mentioned that you, that earlier. So I just wanted to get more into depth on like what, what got you in that position? Well, I always knew that I would go into business. And I knew that because my father was a serial entrepreneur. So he had a, a service station, a couple of you know, rental properties, a garage, a, a restaurant. So just working in business was just a part of my life. And, and part of what we did as children is that we all worked, you know, we all helped him. Right. So I always knew I would go into business. Even after I went into law, I just assumed I would open my own practice. And I think that's why I had the perspective that what I do is a business. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed seeing businesses grow. So I work with a lot of startup businesses and help them first with the small things. And those things got bigger and bigger. And watching businesses become a success uh, has been very exciting. And watching entrepreneurs use uh, for-profits and non-profits to do good work in the world, as well as earn money, has been another exciting part of this journey. And do you have any um, other good stories that involve an entrepreneur and a lawyer or bad ones that, um, just for future reference, if there's anyone who's having some legal problems and they know what type of lawyer to go to, exactly what type of situation they should have one in, that kind of thing? Well, the, the good one is that I have watched uh, myself, I've watched entrepreneurs, you know, grow. And at some point we're looking at small contracts and then we're looking at large contracts. Um, and one of the clients was awarded a fairly large contract in Philadelphia, one of the largest Um, you know, that a private enterprise had been awarded. That's very exciting for me. Some of the bad stories with lawyers and entrepreneurs, I think they come from entrepreneurs who see attorneys who aren't as well versed in that area. And the other thing to remember is just that nobody can do everything well. So you always need to make sure that you have a good fit. When the lawyer and the entrepreneur are not a good fit, that's when I see problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, uh, you know, corporations that, for example, um, one entrepreneur went to use uh, one of the online legal services to incorporate their business. And as a result, it had this kind of form, but it didn't have a termination. It didn't have a, a, a provision for what, what, what happens when I decide to dissolve. Yeah. And, she and her business partner had a nasty fight with no language in the documents as how to resolve. So while it wasn't an attorney, it was the use of a a legal service and that ended up in court, nasty sort of issue. And there were 
much money involved. Had that been that that document been drafted by an attorney, uh, it, it probably would have had a termination provision in it, a dissolution provision, like what happens when we dissolve this company and we mm -hmm. want to go our separate ways. And that instead of being like you know, a, a, just a year long court battle, it could have been something that took a couple of months to resolve. Yeah, true. Okay. And then, um, is there some advice that you would have for young lawyers that are thinking about running their own practice or focusing on entrepreneurial law and helping small businesses? Sure. For attorneys, the first thing that I would say to you is be good at what you do. Decide what that is and then decide I'm going to be good at it. As a young attorney, it's not your job to create something initially that is, you know, more exciting or new or find this crazy niche. You don't know enough to do that. So just spend time learning your craft, staying educated, and then as you begin to grow, do so slowly and deliberately and do what you like. It's very hard to be an entrepreneur, and it's even harder when you are practicing a type of law that you really have no interest in. Right. So do something that you like, become good in that thing. And I don't think you have to worry about clients. In fact, what I tell my students who think that they will never find clients is the problem is you will find too many clients. You will have too many clients and you are going to have to learn to use the word no, because you want a particular kind of client. And that takes time and patience to build up an enterprise that has the kind of clients that you want uh, yeah. in your firm. Okay, awesome. Well, um, I think that was the last question that I had for you. Is there anything else that you would like to add either about Villanova or um, what you do and how to help with like practice of protecting entrepreneurs or people who want to run their own uh, law firms? I would say uh, for those of you who want to run your own practice, to be happy and excited about the enterprise to do what you want. But also, even if you decide that that's not something that you want to do, I would tell young attorneys to find out about it because everyone doesn't come to, to private practice, to owning their own private practice um, in this sort of voluntary, deliberate way. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes jobs lay you off or you move and you need to be able to make money or you want to have a practice because you have another job, but maybe it's not as fruitful as you like it to be. So because you come to all of the come to private practice, all of these different ways, you need to understand what it means to build a practice and build clientele. And that can help you whether or not you work for yourself or you work for somebody else. It really is just another set of tools to keep in your legal toolbox. Okay, well, awesome. That was the last thing I had for you. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was very nice to have you on. I think that your advice is going to be very helpful for not only student entrepreneurs, but anyone who's interested in going into law and want to help other people and more than just doing certain cases and things like that, student, certain niches. So I think that'll be a really good thing for a lot of people out there that listen to us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated talking with you today. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It was great talking to you as well. Um, well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Studentpreneur Show, and I will see you guys next week.